Appreciate it. All right. Ah, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now I've got some room. I can spread out here. Feels good. Ah. We're going to be looking at Dorcas and Lydia. Um, I, I appreciate the idea of helping others. Uh, as it says up there, the word that I really want us to, to focus on is service. So we're going to use these ladies to help us understand service. And if we, uh, if we look, starting in verse 36, uh, Peter is traveling through, uh, this is after Saul has begun persecuting the church. He's traveling through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. That's uh, what it tells us in 31. Um, that's where the church is going, and then it says Peter's traveling throughout all those regions in verse 32. And Peter heals a paralyzed man named Aeneas. And it says that all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to Yahweh. And then it says now in Joppa. Uh, and so I think what we're going to see here is these people in Lydda and Sharon are spreading the word about how amazing it is what Peter has done. And so uh, the saints here in Joppa are going to uh, are, are going to seek his help in what's happened. Verse 36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. It happened at that time she fell sick and died, and when they washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. All right, I asked here, first of all, how is, uh, how is she described? And then I, I have, what are the five most important words here? Let's see if we can figure this out. What are the five most important words of the description of Dorcas? Okay, disciple. An important word, not one of the five I was counting, but it is a good word. And then what, what else are you thinking? Good works, okay, I'm sorry, charitable deeds, abounding, okay, and then there's one more, sorry, full, okay, um, and I, I think in some it says the woman was full of deeds of kindness and charity, um, and mine reads abounding, I've, I'm out of the New American Standard. There's one more word that's very important in understanding Dorcas. I'm sorry? Yes, continually. Okay, so abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And so those five words tell us a lot. Number one, she didn't just do nice things. She was abounding in doing good. And this word abounding or abundantly is not used very often in the Bible. In fact, the most of the time that it's used, we're actually referencing God. 
Uh, it's not the only times, but there are quite a few times where we say that God abundantly does something. So we don't see that word used very often to be abounding in something or to do something abundantly. But God has that word used about him quite frequently, which I find interesting. So she's abounding, but she's not just abounding in kindness or abounding in charity. She's abounding in deeds. So not only, she's not just displaying nice qualities, she is actually going out and taking action based on those qualities of kindness and charity. So again, not only is she just going out and doing things for people, there's a point. It's about being kind and being charitable. Okay, so she is not just doing, she's not just being nice, but she's also going out and doing things for people without expecting anything in return. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And in the Old Testament, we see David use very similar language, don't we? That my, my cup is overflowing with, with the, the blessings that you have given me. Well, Dorcas is doing the same thing. Whether it be the mercy or, or the, the grace by which she lived, or just God was, uh, was helping her. And so she's sharing uh, God's providence with those around her. But I think the most important word, y'all can debate me on that if you want, the most important word here is continually. That's really the, the big word. Okay. Okay, so neither of the King James versions use that word. And that word is there in the Greek. In manuscripts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you, you did get it right. Um, but yes, that word is actually there in the manuscripts. This is something that is continually happening. It's not just whenever she finds the time. She's doing this constantly. This is all the time. To the point that it, it is the definition of her. As the Holy Spirit is telling us what we need to know about Dorcas, this is what it tells us. This is what defines Dorcas. And we're also going to see that's the way everybody else thought about her as well, not just the Holy Spirit. But I think that word continually is really the crux of what we need to understand about Dorcas. All of these other words that we mentioned are all important. Disciple, abounding, deeds, kindness, charity. These are all important words in understanding Dorcas. But I think so often we will sort of limit ourselves in the things that we do, in the kindness and charity that we commit to other people. And we will find reasons why it's not a continual thing out of us. That there are times where we're, maybe we're not prepared to do uh, good things. I knew a, a, a woman while Jill and I were living in Florida, and we were talking about uh, all the people. So during the week, Monday through Saturday, uh, you were not allowed to solicit in the middle of the road as a homeless person. And they had media and so you were not allowed to do that. 
But on Sunday, it was free rent. On Sunday, you could have signs, you could stand out in the just about in the middle of the lane and wave people down and ask for money. And we were talking uh, about this with a, a woman. And I, was, I was talking about how sometimes I, I feel uh, badly that I, I don't always have something to give and, and to help. And this, this woman said, well, I guess you need to be prepared. And I thought, that is such an excellent point. And I said, well, how are you prepared? And she shows me, she goes, she says, come out to my car. She opens her glove box and she has gift cards to restaurants galore. She's got Subway and McDonald's and Sonic and Wendy's. And, and, and these are like $20 and $50 cards. And they are all over her glove box. And so she says, I see, I see one of them, I open it, I give it to them, and that way... They, I know what they're using it for. But that tells me she was prepared. And let me tell you, she had enough that probably she alone could have helped Tampa, you know, feed the homeless. That's about, that's really about continually. When you're doing something continually, then you're always ready to keep doing it. It's a part of who you are. So we see in 37, she dies. They washed her body and laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So I ask this question, why is Peter asked to come? Okay, that is, that's the, the go-to answer for me. It could simply be that Peter is a, is a leader of the church, and, and so they, they want him to come and, and comfort them. You're here, thank you, I, I, I guess. But what doesn't make sense with that interpretation is that they ask him to not delay. So... These disciples are convinced that Peter can do something. And by all accounts, Peter hasn't had to try to do something like this. But it seems without hesitation, it says, having heard Peter was there, they sent two men and said, don't delay. So Dorcas, for one, Dorcas obviously means a lot to them. Tabitha means a lot to them. But I think clearly they expect that Peter can raise her from the dead, which again is saying something. Granted, these are disciples who believe that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead. And if anything is to be believed about Jesus, we know Jesus did the same thing. He was raising people from the dead. And so they just immediately send for Peter. Surely you can help. And to me, that's a crazy amount of faith and it also tells me how they really feel about Dorcas as well. All right. Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments 
that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. So I, I said, what are the widows showing Peter? They're showing the, the clothing that she had made. But why is this significant? You, you, and that might seem, well, it seems like it might be an obvious answer, but... She was making, most likely they were showing what, what she had made for them. Okay. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, so she's she's giving the Cadillac of clothing, I suppose, to people. I, I'm sure that that's a large part of it. Is look at everything she's done for us. Okay, like that's that's certainly a, a, a strong point, especially to show Peter. But what else? What, why might this be significant that they are showing Peter all of these things that that Dorcas has made? What? Okay, so perhaps there's some pleading with Peter that if anyone deserves to be risen, it's Dorcas, which again is a very strong statement by people that that's how much she means to them, uh, and I I think that that's that's perfectly uh, uh, reasonable. Okay. Are you sure? All right. Um, what I what I took from this verse is she has she has made and worked so hard that she still has so many that have haven't been given to anyone yet. She's continuously doing and having these deeds of kindness and charity, and they're showing all these garments that perhaps don't belong to anybody yet. And that's how hard she was working. She's staying ahead. Again, she's being prepared so that she can go forth and do more uh, deeds of kindness and charity. She can abound in these deeds and do them continually. But her work was undone. Her work was not completed because there was still more that she could have given. And especially when we understand how difficult it is to make these garments and how much time and effort it takes and the amount of money that it takes and the fact that this woman is doing this out of charity, it's not, it's not selling something at a discounted price for people. It's about charity. She's doing all this without expecting anything in return. Peter sent them all out, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand, raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. and became known all over Joppa. Many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. And now we get to the setup for Cornelius. Uh, and I, before we move on to question number four, I do want to get to that. I wanted to point this out. It says, Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. I find it interesting that 
It seems so straightforward for Peter. But there's no way he's done something on this scale before. But Peter has come a long way. He's come a long way from the man who was denying Jesus. He's come a long way from being that group of disciples that while Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, the rest of the disciples down there, they can't cast out demons that they had the power to do because of their lack of faith. That group has come a long way. And here Peter is wielding the Holy Spirit with something that up to this point in the New Testament, we've only seen Jesus do. And he just, he sends them all out, he prays, and he says, it's time to wake up. And it happens exactly that way. And it has to be things like this, why he gets the vision and he doesn't really question God about going to see Cornelius. He, he, he doesn't think twice, really, about uh, seeing the Gentiles be saved. And I, I could keep going. And I'm sure that this was a strong reason why. But he clearly had the confidence that God would wield his power through him at this point in time. Which is something to be said for Peter and that Peter has come a long way. I found it interesting, it's something that I hadn't, I'm going to be honest, I hadn't really noticed um, until I was uh, studying for, for this lesson. It has the, the idea of the saints and the widows, they're given as separate terms, uh, and that's not very normal in the New Testament. There could be reasons for it. But I had this question, I said, assuming that there is a reason why they're listed separately, why, why might that then be impressive that the widows are here mourning Dorcas? Maybe her kindness and generosity were seen and experienced beyond faithful. Okay. So, and I think that's right. If there is a reason that these are listed separately, I think that's what's going on here. It's not just for the saints, but her work, her charity, her kindness has extended to everyone that even widows who aren't a part of the saints are recognizing and mourning the loss of this woman. And it, it could be that they're... It's the same, the, the saints, and these are widows that are of the saints body. That's entirely possible. But I find that interesting that they're listed separately. And surely someone who is abounding in these deeds and doing them continually, it's not just for the church. And that's another point that I want us to understand. When we as, as Christians are going out and, and helping those that we can inevitably, it doesn't just stop at our fellow Christians. We're supposed to be reaching out to everyone else. And we are showing them just the slightest sliver of what it means to have a relationship with God. This is the kind of help that you can receive, not, not monetarily, not because I'm, I'm helping you by uh, giving you food or giving you clothing, but that your needs on a much deeper level 
can be met as well. And that we're all doing the work of God together. And this is the kind of kindness and charity you can expect from anyone in the group. That's what we're supposed to be showing the community around us. And our good deeds and continual charity is not just for the faithful. Perhaps it's the faithful first. Paul mentions that. That first we work for our fellow brethren. But we don't only work and do good for our fellow brethren. So what was Dorcas's ultimate service? We're talking about service, right? What is her ultimate service to Joppa and us? Right. And and what I find interesting, and this is something that is very difficult for us to accept, that perhaps it is our death that can be of the ultimate service to some. And I don't just you know mean from the standpoint of uh, of uh, protecting you know what we have like for instance with the military or putting your life on the line as a first responder. Um, but if we've ever heard the idea that funerals are for the living and not the dead, that's when going to a house of mourning is so good for us. They see what they've missed, what they've lost, and they, they see the kind of charity and kindness that Dorcas did, and they said, this is something that we can't live without. She is so good to us. And then God, in his goodness, says, okay, I'll give her back. And now these people get to experience what Lydda and Sharon got to experience by seeing Aeneas. And, and what many in Jerusalem got to see with Jesus performing his miracles. And some of what Peter and the apostles have begun to do up until this point. And now Joppa gets to join in with that, even with something as tragic as Dorcas's loss. I think sometimes we have to remember that sometimes that is when we are the most at service to some. But as Paul put it, while we're here, we're going to do great service for those around us. And if you'll turn to uh, Acts chapter 16, let's move on to Lydia. I'm going to try to be better about my time management. So I don't want us to be trying to get to Lydia in the last two minutes. What I love here is that as far as service, there's not much said here about Lydia really at all. And yet she gets to be a great example and lesson for us. Again, God is, is quite wise. Uh, a woman named Lydia, verse 14 of Acts chapter 16, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So I had here, after her place of origins, it says that she's from the city of Thyatira. How is she then described? She's 
She's a seller of purple. And then what was the other one? She's a worshiper of God. What we see here is not only is she uh, wise, intelligent, uh, shrewd. You sort of have to be if you're doing business, especially at this point in time. Not only that, seller of purple fabrics kind of puts her in an upper echelon of business people uh, because of the majority of her clientele. It may not be all of them, but certainly a majority of her clientele. So not only is she intelligent, wise, perhaps uh, well-known, and, uh, uh, and, and had high respect from those around her based on the kind of people that were, that were buying purple clothing, but then it calls her a worshiper of God. And uh, if you've ever heard of, there's, we tend to be either of primacy or recency, meaning the first thing we hear is more important or the last thing we hear is more important. And I think that the Holy Spirit often looks at things with a lens of recency. And what we have here is she's a worshiper of God. Okay, she's from Thyatira. She's a seller of purple, but she's a worshiper of God. That's what he's going to end on. And then it says, that worshiper of God, she's listening to what Paul had to say. Uh, and it also says, not only was she listening, I want you to notice that, the Holy Spirit gives her the onus of listening, but then says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And while she is a worshiper of God, the Holy Spirit identifies her as such. She and her, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, before we get into... Uh, to question, uh, or to question number eight, I want us to look at question seven. How do they discover, how do Paul and Silas discover Lydia? We didn't read it, so. <laughs> okay, so she came to hear them. The Bible doesn't, I'm not going to say that that's incorrect, but I would say the Bible doesn't exactly categorize it that way, but it's not inherently incorrect. Mark? Okay. And I think that's the safer, the safer idea. Okay. They come to Philippi, and that says in verse 13 on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. They're looking for where to find this place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So Paul and Silas show up, and here she is. So we mentioned she is going to be a, a businesswoman. That already lends her some wisdom, some intelligence, some shrewdness. And then knowing what she sells, she probably has power and influence. But she's not lost in business. She's come to a place of prayer. She's come to pray. 
and in so doing, give her service to the Lord. That's what she's ultimately come to do. And whether or not they knew Paul was coming, um, if she did know Paul was coming, then doubly good on her. She's also come not only to pray and, and to gather with these women, but also to listen to an apostle, listen to an authority on the way. Uh, so either, either way, double good on, on Lydia. Okay. Um, and besides what we talked about with about a seller of purple fabrics, I do have this in, in eight. Uh, who does Lydia have influence over? So besides those that she has business dealings with, who else does she have influence over? Her household. So it says when she and her household, all we're really told is, um, it says we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. I don't know who all is involved in her household, but it seems that it's, it's a group of women who have come to the river outside of Philippi to worship. But it's her household, she and her household have been baptized. So clearly she hears what Paul has to say. It says the Lord opened her heart and then she goes and exerts her influence over her household. And now not only is she finding salvation, but now her household is as well. But then as she's, I'm sure, praising God and excited about the salvation that she has received by Jesus Christ, then it says when she and her household had been baptized, that, that gives us a sense of immediacy. They're baptized. Okay, now you have to stay. So what is Lydia's immediate response to being baptized? She asks them to say, I said, did her baptism magically make her that way? Of course not. And this is where sometimes I have to remember um, I, I had this conversation once. I, I was teaching a Bible class, and and this gentleman was was talking about how you know there are some people that are just really far away from the truth of God, and sometimes we think that there's no hope for them. But then we have other people in our lives that seem like they're just so close, and that you know there's there's one little thing that's off. And he brought up. Lydia, and used this idea. And I said, in a way, you really have a point. Oftentimes, what we as, as Christians, before we have actually uh, gone through our baptism, we are already exhibiting characteristics that God wants to see out of the citizens of his kingdom. If he didn't, we probably wouldn't be responding to the call in the first place. However, while we can sit there and think, oh, you're just so close, we are all so far away from God. And Lydia here is, is showing us what this looks like when even though she's a worshiper of God, she knows that she's far from God and she's seeking how to come closer to God. So she hears Paul and Silas talking 
to all of them who were assembled. And then she responds to that call. Even though her character has not changed to a drastic degree, she still has responded to this call. But then coming up out of baptism, then her character that she already had kicks in. And so we find that both sides of this coin here with Lydia and with the service that she is rendering to Paul and Silas, as well as, as we mentioned, the service that she's rendering to God by being here in the first place. And so it would have been easy for someone in her position to say, but look at everything I do already. Look at who I am already. Why isn't God happy with that? And that should be the answer to your question, is that that's the way you feel. So not only is she ready to do good, but she's also trying to respond to the call of God at the same time. And, the, and then it, it sort of moves on from there, which is interesting. Um, so it talks about this, uh, this girl with a spirit of divination that Paul casts out, and they're uh, arrested because of this. But we get down to verse 40, as Paul and Silas are being released from prison, and we see that the uh, Philippian jailer has been converted. I also want to point out, it says, she and her household have been baptized, but it doesn't mention any of the rest of the women. It doesn't really have to. That's not what the Holy Spirit is focused on. It could be every single one of those women were baptized, and it's just not important for us to know at the moment. But all we really have right now is Lydia and her household have been baptized. And then it says in verse 40, after they've converted the jailer as well, they went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, the brethren, that's plural, they encouraged them and departed. And so in a very short amount of time, we have at the very least, Two families of people that have made a church, let alone however many other women from the river might have been uh, converted. But after their imprisonment, they enter the house of Lydia. Lydia keeps them a little while longer, which is a, a very interesting thing to, to think about Lydia, especially when we're talking about perhaps the, the amount of influence that she has and the business acumen that she has and um, to, to be a seller of purple it was not easy but she takes prisoners that were just released from jail into her home and how many people in this city of Philippi know who Paul and Silas are oh that Lydia there were some of those Prisoners there in the jail, they went to Lydia's house right after. And that could be a, a dangerous situation for it to be, especially from perhaps a business standpoint. But they go right to Lydia, and she takes them in, and they comfort the brethren, and then they leave. Yes, sir? You know, find interesting about this whole thing. You talk about her, her business and her shrewdness and the business acumen. I think it kind of shows that how she handles the whole situation. She and her household... All get baptized, and when she immediately gets the doubles down, she invites yes. them in her household. And, it's, and then we hear the phrase, you strike while the iron's hot. Well, mm. see, it was probably at its hottest right there. <laughs> to build an even bigger foundation. Yeah. 
And that's a great point. And, and if anyone was going to know that, it would be someone in her position to have this understanding of strife while the iron is hot. And so she's building upon uh, what she has. And certainly she would know about what got Paul and Silas in prison in the first place. Right? So understanding all of that. Also, in, it says they encouraged them and they departed. What are they encouraging them about? Is it just, hey, we got out of prison, it's all good? No. Look, we've got more people. Look, we helped this young girl by casting uh, a spirit of divination that was clearly was not good for her, especially the masters who were using her for their profit. And so already, they've been here in a relatively short amount of time, for all we know. And look at all the good that's already happened by the power of Jesus Christ. And wouldn't that be amazing if, if she is the, the first person to really be converted out of this area, and then by the next day or so, there's already a whole other family that can join her. That zeal might have been at the highest after she's been baptized, but that takes a while to fade. How exciting must that be? You see your household, and then you see another family, and now you're ready to get to work. And you're ready to be of service. And while I, I wanted us to focus on, especially both Dorcas and Lydia show this about serving others, we have to remember that first and foremost, we are serving our God. When we talk about service and we talk about doing things for other people, that's fantastic. Let's talk about that. Let's think practically about what more we can do. Maybe some of you got some ideas about getting some gift cards and finding people to help. Um, and we could talk about practical ways to help each other. But we have to remember that our service, first and foremost, is focused on God. She is worshiping God when she's set up for this. God is watching her. And now she's responding. It says the Lord opened her heart. We've seen that kind of language be used either in similar ways or in antithetical ways, for instance, with Pharaoh. And so, yes, God is working on her, but it, the Holy Spirit says she's listening. And God is paying attention. And so he blesses her with responding to the call, being able to respond to the call. Paul and, Paul and Silas didn't even have to stop in Philippi necessarily. It actually tells us that he's in Troas and he receives the vision of someone from Macedonia. And there are other places they could have gone besides Philippi. But true to form, Paul is following the Spirit. The Spirit leads them to Philippi and thus to Lydia. And with her being a worshiper of God, she's being led to come to this place of worship down by the river. When we think of our service, as long as we are serving the Lord our God, then the service to others should come as... No difficult feat, no great surprise to us. How many people are, are going to sit here and say Dorcas was doing it because she was getting something out of it? Of course not. 
No, she is concerned about doing her work for the Lord, and thus the service comes after. 